I'm so glad you joined us this morning. It's Pentecost Sunday. When God made good on His promise to pour out the Holy Spirit on His people, and this had been prophesied uh, centuries and centuries before this ever came from the prophet Joel, and, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But um, before we even get started, I, I want to—I want you to pray with me, if you would. I'm not going to pray over you. I want you to pray with me because uh, such an important day. I, I want our hearts to be right to receive God's word in the fullness of how it's supposed to be, and I don't want there to be any confusion or distraction. Um, and and if we'll just take the the scripture for what it says, I believe it empowers us and frees us to be the people that God wants us to be. So would you pray with me for just a minute, Father? As we get ready to read your word, would you prepare our minds to see what you truly say, not what we think it says, or not what we've heard that it says, but we're going to read it for ourselves this morning. And I pray that it makes the transition from our head to our hearts. God, that it's not just head knowledge. We, we don't need more information. We don't need more education. What we need is people on fire and filled with the power of your Holy Spirit, regardless of their past, regardless of where they've been, that just act upon what you say without having to be afraid, without having to worry, without doubting. So, Lord, I pray there'd be no confusion this morning. I pray there'd be no distraction this morning. I just pray that this would be good seed on good soil as we read about the power of your Holy Spirit being poured out so that the church would begin and we can continue to see that even for us today, it is for us, it is about us, and you have something that you want us to be and something you want us to do. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're concluding our, our series here on the Holy Spirit, and this morning we're talking about the outpouring, and uh, that's kind of a phrase that they used, and uh, last week we talked about the gifts of the Spirit and gifts of uh, inspiration, gifts of revelation, gifts of demonstration, and how those are all supposed to work so that we understand how that those things play in the church, but we're going to take a step backwards. We talked about fruit of the Spirit a couple weeks ago, and, and really none of that stuff could have happened until this day happened, which was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And why this is so important, not just for you and me, even in the year 2017, right here where we're at, the reality is we need the Holy Spirit just as much as the people in the first century church needed it. In fact, I believe we need it more because people have set it aside, we're more distracted, we're less biblically uh, uh, oriented, we're less biblically viewed, we're less biblically committed than we've ever been before. But God had to use this time to make a great transition because he's transitioning them out of two things. Everybody that had followed him had known what temple worship was. You go to the temple, you do your, your penance, you pay your price, you give your two turtle doves, and, and you, you go through that process. But he was also making the transition of letting them know, I'm not here for you to follow anymore. Because what they do is he would just take off and they would follow him. And that's what made them Jesus followers. They just follow Jesus where he went. Well, Jesus is gone. Jesus has died. Jesus is resurrected. And now he's risen up to heaven. And he's like, you've got to know that I'm not here for you to follow anymore. So what I want you to follow is what I taught you. 
I want you to live like I taught you to live. I want you to do what you saw me do. I want you to have the values that you saw, the values that I have. And you don't need me to do this anymore. Do what I taught you to do. But that was pretty ineffective because we're going to see here in just a minute. They were being hunted. Their dreams had been broken. They saw their Savior died, but they also got to see him resurrected. But I believe that they fully thought he was going to come back in a completely different way and take over and take control. And he's like, nope, that's not what this is about. I've got something bigger planned. I've got something better planned. And it's going to blow you away. And we're going to see in just a little bit that all of these believers that were, I'm going to be with you forever, Jesus, they're all huddled up in a room afraid. <laughs> the door's locked, thinking, he told us to wait for this promise. It better be good. I don't know what the promise is, but it better be good. But the, the reason that we have this is going to be laid out here in Acts chapter 1, and, and we're going to pick it up in verse 4 here real quick if you're with me. Being assembled together with them, he pulled everybody together. Now, this is after the resurrection. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. So it doesn't matter what's going on. I want you to stay here, he says. I want you to wait here for the promise. And in my Bible, promise is capitalized because it's a name. It's not just any old promise. Holy Spirit is the promise. So I want you to wait for the promise from the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. I've been talking about this, and I want you to get it. Verse 5, for John truly baptized with water. Now look what he says. John has his part. I he baptized with water. He even baptized Jesus. But you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, he didn't tell them when. This is where we have to dig in a little bit as Christians and realize that there are promises of God, but he never tells us exactly when they're going to happen. You know why? Faith. You trust and I will do what I said I will do. But it doesn't require faith if you know exactly when, where, and how. Then you just have to show up. But he said, I want you to wait for it. And hopefully that builds some expectation, some anticipation. And he says, that he used that specific word, that, that baptized, which means immersed. And this is not the, the same as when you get saved and there's just a, an awakening of your spirit. This is a whole different experience. Because earlier, he pulled the disciples close to him, and he breathed on them, and John, and he said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, there was a filling. But now, he didn't use the same word as he's using here. Now, he says, it's a baptism, which means I'm going to immerse you. I'm going to dunk you in the Holy Spirit. I don't want it to just be in you as something that's going to prompt you. I want it to be all over your life, over your thought life, over your eye life, over your word life, over your heart life, over every part of you. I want all of you covered with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they're going to need it. And can I tell you, you need it. We said this a couple weeks ago. If you're trying to serve God by just coming to church and following the rules, it is impossible. He never designed it for that. That's why we need the Holy Spirit that guides us and leads us and points us at truth and always funnels us back to Jesus as the center of what we're doing. Because if not, we'll focus on the rules. Did I do enough? 
Did I not do enough? Did I do it right? That's not the goal. The goal is, am I following Jesus? Am I doing what he said to do? And so he says, I want you to wait for this, and you're going to have to be baptized in this, but it's going to be a different kind of baptism. John baptized with water. You're going to be baptized with fire. Now, that doesn't sound like very fun, does it? But can I tell you why I believe this is? A, not, not only is fire a symbolic thing of the Holy Spirit, but our flesh hates fire. Fire kills flesh, right? That's why some people resist it. The Holy Spirit's trying to move on you even right now as I'm speaking, and you're already starting to pull back like, I'm not sure I want to hurt, hear this. Step forward. And not just physically, but you need to say in yourself this morning, I need the Holy Spirit. I can't do this the way I've been doing it. That's maybe why your life has been up and down. You've been inconsistent. You're in and out. You can't pray. You struggle with worship. You know why? Because you're trying to do it on your own instead of allowing the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You're trying to beat that addiction. You're trying to make it through that thing on your own. Your strength will give out. But the Holy Spirit is limitless. It is actually called power, dunamis, explosive power. That's what we're waiting for. And it's available every day, not just once. It's not just a one-time event. He said we should keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we leak. And I'm not talking about old people. I'm talking about, <laughs> I'm talking about all of us. The world pulls our desire for God out. The world puts cracks in us and our heart gets hard or our mind gets distracted. And the Bible in all of the New Testament talks about we've got this problem of, of getting comfortable and falling asleep. And then someone comes and says, awake, O sleeper. And he's talking to the church. He's not talking to the world. We get comfortable in our ways instead of needing that power to realize, wow, my battery's running low. Wow, I'm not as spiritual as I once. Wow, wow, my dis I've been distracted. Now listen to what he says. So he says, therefore, I want you to wait, and it's going to come in, in a few days. Therefore, knowing this, when they had come together, they asked him, and notice they, they're just like us. They don't get it. We read the Scriptures, but we oftentimes don't get it. We pray, but we often don't get it. Look what he says. He's trying to tell them, you just wait for the gift. And what are they concerned about? Read verse 6. Okay, we're waiting for the gift, but when are you going to restore the kingdom? When are you going to get rid of the Romans? When will we as Jews be able to have the kingdom that we're supposed to have? And I'm sure Jesus shakes his head and says, wasn't I just talking about a gift? Yeah, when are you going to restore the kingdom? <laughs> we're tired of being hunted. We're tired of being afraid. We're tired of being abused by these Romans, by the world, by the government. When are you going to fix things? And he's like, all right, let's just deal with that. Look at verse 7. It's not for you to know these things. So when you look around and you see what's happening in London, you see what's happening in our country, you know what? It's not for you to know how he's going to fix these things or when he's going to fix these things. You just keep your eyes on God and the promise. You keep waiting for that, and then you'll be in the right direction. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. And he tries to bring it back full circle. I'm trying to, it's like, it's like dealing with three-year-olds. Okay, focus, kids. Focus. <laughs> Look at verse 8. But you, you don't have to worry about what the Father's going to do. You will receive, what does he say there? 
power. Not a spiritual higher ground, not a better sense of morality, not more works and not more religion. He says, I want you to have power. And one of the problems that we're facing today in the world church, especially in the West, is a lack of power. No self-control, no power to pray, no power to preach, no power to worship. We feel like powerless people just going through the motions, and then it's easy to skip out in church, especially on days like this, because it's nice out there. Can I tell you, you need all the power you can get, because the world is getting harder, and the Bible even says we need to redeem the times for the days are evil. It's not going to get any less so. And he knows that. So all of this is playing out. He says, you've got to have power, not just your ability or your strength, because that will fail you, but you'll have power when? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Notice he transitions back to that baptized word, not the Holy Spirit being planted in you. Notice he doesn't say that. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, just like baptism, the water is going to get on you. We're going we're gonna to dunk you good in the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because right now you're hiding in an upper room. Right now you're afraid and fearful and you're wondering how are we going to do this with Jesus gone. He said, but you're going to need power because I've got a job for you. And church, he's got a job for you too. This is not just for the first century church. This is for every last one of us. And the main reason that we struggle with evangelism is fear. See, we think it's, oh, I don't know enough. You know enough right now. You know that Jesus came, died, and resurrected. That's all you need to know. You don't need to know any of that other stuff. You don't have to have the Scripture memorized. You've got enough at your disposal. The problem's not education. The problem is obedience. Because every one of us have heard somebody tell you, you need to go and make disciples. You need to share God's word. And we say, yep, but I'm never going to do that. Or I've got to wait for the right time <laughs> or the right place. And I, I just don't feel prepared. That's where the purpose and the power of the Holy Spirit comes in. You'll never be prepared because your flesh will say, oh, it's not time. You're not ready. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You, you just sinned yesterday. How can you share the gospel? It didn't matter that you're a sinner. The power of the Holy Spirit is the one that busts you out of that mess to share the gospel. This is what he's saying. I want you to be my witnesses. I don't need you to be religious people. I want you to be witnesses. And witnesses just tell what they've seen and heard and experienced. Right? They pull a witness into a court of law. They don't need to know anything else. What did you hear? And they tell what they heard. Can they tell what they heard from Jesus? Yep. And the Holy Spirit's job is to remind them what they heard. And I'm going to tell you what I saw. Because firsthand experience is the best experience, right? That's a good witness. Now, if you've never walked with Jesus, then you've got a problem. But today's the day maybe we get that fixed. And the Holy Spirit can be working on you right now to say, quit playing around and quit just sitting in church and it's time for you to follow Jesus. Jesus never said come to church. Jesus said follow me. Now, if you follow him, you'll end up in church. But if you're not following him, you need to start right there. And then what you've experienced. You see, the Holy Spirit is not a doctrine. 
a book to read. The Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an experience that we need to experience instead of making it some cold, dry, hard thing. Yep, I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's not an experience. That's intellectual assent. Yep, I agree. And some of us are worried about that. Well, I don't want to get carried away. So you'd rather die bored and afraid? Because left to ourselves, we'll do everything but what he asks us to do. We'll find excuses, we'll make ways, we'll get too busy, we'll do this, we'll do that. And I'm not talking about God worrying about church attendance, but what I'm saying is this. Every day of our life, we've been given 24 hours a day, every last one of us. And we get to decide, is it going to be about the kingdom, or is it going to be about us? And he wants us to have good lives. He wants us to have full lives. But the fullest life you're going to have is one filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that moves you past the fear of rejection and excuses and distraction. Go on vacation. Have a great time. Man, when the weather's like it is now, go to the beach. But be looking for opportunities to tell the glorious works of God. Allow your life to be vibrant enough and on fire enough to reveal God to the people around you. Why are you so happy? I'm happy not because I'm skipping church. I'm happy because I've got the Holy Spirit that empowers me. I want you to be witnesses of me or to me. Where? Jerusalem, right here where we start, and in all of Judea, in the county where you're at, and Samaria, in the places beyond where you live, and all the way to the end of the earth. So he's like saying, I want you to start where you're at. And this morning, church, you just need to start where you're at. Maybe you haven't been called to be a missionary. Maybe you don't travel that much, but you can missionize, you can share the gospel right where you're at. And the place to start, your house, your kids. Give them faith. Give them a place to start. Your spouse, your father-in-law, your son-in-law, wherever, that immediate family, wherever you're at, and then outward from there, wherever you travel. And again, if God calls you to mission work, awesome. Be that global missionary that goes someplace that takes it to the end of the world. But sometimes if we're not careful, it sounds too big. Oh, we've got to save the whole city. Nope, just start where you're at. You may not know everybody in this city, but God's given you a little group of friends. He's given you a little sphere of influence. Just start there. And again, don't be weird. Just be you and be a witness. Tell people what he's done for you. Tell people what you've heard. Tell people what you've experienced. All right? So that's just the lean-in. You ready for the preaching to start? Here we go. What is Pentecost? Let's just lay the groundwork here so you're not confused because I can't make the assumption that everybody understands what this is. I, when I came to church, I didn't know what Pentecost was. I didn't know there was a Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost, this is from the, the English word that's transliterated from the Greek word, which is Pentecostos. It just means 50. Pente means 50. There's nothing special about that word. It was just a counting mechanism from Passover 50 days after Passover is Pentecost. Now, there had been many Pentecosts. This is not the first Pentecost. There had been many Passover celebrations, and 50 days after that is Pentecost. Okay? 
This is 50 days after the Passover, also called the Feast of Weeks. This is a big celebration time, and God knew exactly what he was doing. This is so cool to watch this set up. This had been in play for generations, that 50 days after Passover, they travel to Jerusalem, and they celebrate a festival, the Feast of Weeks, which is thanking God for the big harvest of the crops. So all the Jews come to Jerusalem for this annual feast from everywhere around the world. Any believing Jews would come that had been spread out to enjoy and celebrate this festival called the Feast of Weeks. They'd come in little tabernacles and fellowship and thank God for the harvest being brought in. This is that one of the three major annual feasts. You can see this from Deuteronomy so Jesus is crucified during the Passover. He ascended 40 days after his resurrection, but the Holy Spirit comes 50 days after the resurrection. And this is what's amazing. For 40 days after the resurrection, he's cruising around, showing himself to people, talking to his disciples, talking to other people. In fact, weird stuff is happening, like graves are opening up and dead people are coming out after his resurrection. Incredible stuff that we're thinking, whoa, to show his power over death. So he's been around for 50 days. Now, again, they've only got 10 days without him. But can I tell you, 10 days living in fear? I mean, you ever been there? How about just a night? You ever had one of those long nights? Your heart's worried, your mind's troubled, you can't sleep, and yet you're so tired. Your body's begging for sleep, and your mind is racing, and you can memorize every dot on the ceiling. You hear the clock ticking. <laughs> and you roll over and check the clock, and it's like, well, that's been five minutes. And it can be a really long night. You don't have the answer. You don't know what's going to happen. And even though you want resolution, you're almost afraid of what's going to happen in the morning. What if nothing happens in the morning? So imagine that for 10 days. Jesus is now gone. They've seen him ascend in clouds, gone up to heaven. We're just supposed to wait here for the promise, but he tell, tell us what the promise is. And what are we going to do? He's gone. Who do we follow now? Jews for every nation are present for this festival. This is why what Peter does is so incredible. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. This is all set up completely by God. Acts chapter 2, we're going to read 18 verses. Now, I know it's going to be on the screen, but I hope that you've got a Bible in some format, either on your phone or a physical paper Bible, because I want you to read what he has set up, not for the disciples of the early church, but for you. Because this is our story. This is my story. I've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. Not just at salvation, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know what that means. I know how it feels. I know that it's needed. I know that it's been like nothing I've ever experienced before. And it's the thing that keeps me hungry and excited about who Jesus is and what he's going to do. And without it, you get tired of religion about just going through the things and checking the boxes. But with the Holy Spirit, you're expecting something every single Sunday. I'm expecting God to show up every single time we come together. Are you? Or are you just coming to do that thing because you think God keeps attendance someplace? And if you don't show up, he's like, oh, 
You don't get a gold star today. Because I'll tell you what, every pastor would be thrilled if people skipped church to witness to the world. But nobody skips church to witness to the world. We skip church to fulfill a void, and this is not condemnation, I'm just speaking out of personal experience. We skip church to fill a void where the Holy Spirit should be, and it's easier to fill it with the flesh. But guess what? Then you realize that vacation didn't satisfy, and that day off didn't satisfy, and that little thing here didn't satisfy, and binging on Netflix didn't satisfy, and, and it's never going to satisfy. You can't fill a spiritual void with a flesh thing. It doesn't work. And you can make all the excuses that you want this morning, church, and I'm not trying to be hard, but I'm trying to catapult us into being aligned with God's Word. There's people say, well, I'm done with church. I... Church was God's idea, not man's idea. Well, I'll do home church. No accountability, no growth, and you are only alienating yourself. You need to be in a company of believers that will pray for you and make you accountable that when they notice that you're not here and they see that your life isn't right, that somebody has the guts to speak up and say, you probably shouldn't be living like that, and why are you doing that? Or, man, you seem like you're really broken. You need some prayer. That doesn't happen at home, church. It doesn't happen when you stream it live online. You can have worship and you can listen to sermons. I can listen to sermons, but I've got no contact with that person. They don't know me. You need to be in a body of believers and get over yourself and allow you to make friends and people that will speak into your lives and say, I notice that it looks like you're struggling a little bit. Or, man, I was so encouraged by how you worshiped on Sunday. I'm so, man, I noticed that you go down to the front and pray for people all the time. Why do you do that? That doesn't happen when you're not here. And it's not that you can't listen to messages and it's not that you can't listen to worship, but that's not church. So I'm just setting the tone here so you know we got to get over some of this stuff. Technology can never take the place of the power of the Holy Spirit, of people touching people, praying for people. You can't get that through the Internet. He's got it all set up. All these Jews are in one place. And here comes the promise. Chapter 2. He says, When the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, had fully come, it's not before, it's not too late, it's right at the right time, they were all with one accord in one place. They're all waiting. We've been waiting and waiting. Where's this promise? Where's this promise? Where's this promise? And verse 2, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Notice where the sound comes from. Not from the coast. Sound from heaven, like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They're sitting, waiting, and all of a sudden it seems like wind is just blowing all over them. And there's all kinds of stuff we can infer from that, but I'm just going to read you what the Scripture says. Wind blew into that house, and it was a mighty rushing wind. And all of a sudden there appeared to them divided tongues like fire, and one sat upon each of them. So they're all sitting there, and according to paintings and all this, I don't know how it played out. I wasn't there. But most of them make it look like there's a little fire sitting on each person or hovering over each person. I don't know if it was over their heart or over their head. It doesn't really matter. 
the positioning of it is not what you need to ask about, right? Who got left out according to the Scripture? They're all coming together in one place. The wind they all heard, the wind they all felt, and the tongues of fire sat on who? The smart ones? The committed ones? The, the hyper-believers? Everybody that was there, right? The doubters? Anybody that would wait for the promise? Notice what it says. Those tongues of fire sat on each one. God is no respecter of persons. Peter, James, John, all of them. Thomas, the doubter. Fire of God came on him too. Look at verse 4. They didn't have to be told what to do. They didn't know what to expect. But it said that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Importantly, we shared this a couple weeks ago, as the Spirit gave them utterance. What does that mean? That each one of them began to speak what the Spirit wanted them to speak. Do you think, use your imagination, do you think that was what they were waiting for? Do you think that was the promise? Lord, please send a mighty rushing wind into this house. Lord, let's do something really cool. Let's make little fireballs sit on each of our head. You think that's what they were praying for? I can only imagine that with the Bible says there was 120 people or so waiting. I'll bet you there was 120 different things that they were expecting. But God did what he had planned to do all along, and they were okay with it because they were just waiting for him to show up. And God may not answer it the way you want things to be answered, but he's got a plan, and he will show up. And you may say, that's not what I wanted. Well, that's what I'm giving, and it will be just fine. Now, look at this. All of a sudden, no instructions, there's no blackboard, no hand appears and tells them what to do. But all of a sudden, this group of weaklings and hiders and deniers and fearful people all of a sudden get prompted into action, but nobody had to tell them to go do it. Isn't that amazing? Look what happens. Verse 5, and they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Again, they're there for the Feast of Weeks. And when the sound occurred, the sound of the, the wind rushing, the multitude came together. They're wondering, what's going on in that house? And they got confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. They didn't just hear a bunch of babbling. They didn't just hear a murmur. They didn't just hear this weird sound. I mean, think about that. If you were in a loud crowd, you can just hear a gentle murmur, and you just hear voices and blah, 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 blah. But it's hard to pick out. But every one of those believing Jews heard a message in their own native language. Now, who told the group inside the house to go outside? Is that part of the promise? 
Who told them and trained them and gave them the Rosetta Stone software so they could learn other languages? Nobody. That wasn't what they were praying for. I can tell you they weren't praying to be taught a different language. Many of them barely spoke their own language. They're fishermen. They just wanted the promise. And so I encourage you this morning, quit worrying about what, when, where, how, and just get hungry for the promise. You get hungry for the promise, it'll work out just fine. You start worrying about that, well, what if he wants this and does that? I'm not sure I can. It's not about you at all. He doesn't need your ability. He just needs you to stay there and wait for the promise and quit trying to work it out. They didn't know how to work it out. Moving on. Here we go. They were all amazed, and they marveled, and they looked at each other saying, aren't these who speak Galileans? Now, I'm going to tell you up front, that's an insult. Now, you don't see it from there, but Galilee was a little backwoods place with a bunch of redneck people that were known for being fishermen. These are not the highly educated people of the land. Galileans are like down here. And he's like, how are all these miscreants, how are all these idiots, how are all these rednecks speaking our language perfectly? And you know why he did that? So that nobody gets glory but God. It's not you learning a great intellect. It's not you figuring out how to talk the right way with the right dialect to the right people. It gives all glory to God because they had nothing to do with it except for just stepping out. And I'll bet you they didn't even know what language they were speaking. Peter didn't stand up and say, I think I'm going to speak Cretan today. He didn't do that. He just poured out and he began to talk. An amazing thing happened. How do they, that we hear each in our own language. Now, look at this. This is how specific it is. Not the country that we're living in. I'm hearing it in the language to which I was born, their heart language. Not some language they could also speak. He spoke in their heart language, the language that we got like that. No need for translation. No need for dialect. They spoke right to them. And he goes on and he says, look at all the different ones. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, over and over and over and over, all the way down to verse 12. He said, we hear them speaking in our tongues the wonderful works of God, verse 12. And they were all amazed and perplexed, and they asked a great question, what can this mean? Now, notice what they're speaking The glorious, wonderful works of God. You see what being a witness is? They knew what Jesus had done. They know what Jesus told them to do. And that's what they were speaking. They couldn't speak about things they didn't know or didn't experience. They're just speaking what they knew, the wonderful works of God. And people are going, what can this mean? It got people's attention. Now, can I tell you, just like in our world today, not everybody got it. Look at the next verse. There's always going to be mockers, people. There's always going to be people that call your bluff. There's always going to be people that are scoffers that don't believe your God, your church, your experience. And notice that that is just fine. Because this whole crowd, but not everybody heard it. Some people thought they were just murmuring and were drunk. You see what he says there? Others began to mock them saying, oh, they're just full of new wine. 
They're here for the festival and they partied too much. They're drunk. And Peter corrects that. Notice what he says. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and hear my words. These men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. It's only like 9 a.m. But what you are hearing is what the prophet Joel talked about. And this is what he said. It will come to pass in the last days, says God. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. On what flesh? Now, I looked up that word, and that little Greek word, all, when we translate it to English, it means all. Not just men, not just women, not just pastors, not just preachers, not just, it means all. And if you're from the South, that doesn't mean O-I-L, the stuff you pour in your car. We're not talking about that. We're talking A-L-L, all. We're not talking about A-W-L, a little sharp tool that you use to poke through leather. We're talking about everybody, all y'all, you-uns, us-uns, we-uns, all of us. Right? Now, would you agree with me this morning that God's plan was to pour out His Holy Spirit on everybody? According to this verse, right? Are we good there? Because that's what He said. Not just specific people at specific times. I want them to be poured out on all flesh. Who? Your sons and your prophesy. Notice this. They're going to speak the things of God. And your young men are going to see visions, things of what God wants them to do. And old men are going to dream dreams. They're going to be like, this is what we dreamed about. This is, this is what we've been seeing and waiting for. And on my maidservants, on my manservants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. Who pours out the Spirit? Is it something we work up? Is it about a series of songs? Is it about a revival special speaker? Nope. God pours out His Spirit. Who's in control of it? He is. Who gives the people utterance? The Spirit does. We're not the ones that are in control of it. And when we can let go of that, guess what? It gets so much easier. When we're trying to pump it up or bring it down instead of just allowing God to move and flow. And we just keep waiting day by day for the promise. Promise for your kids. Your grandkids. The Bible says for all those who are far off. The Holy Spirit will bring them near. And he talks about drawing them by his Spirit. Turn real quick with me, if you would. We're going to go to Isaiah, Old Testament, just real quick. Isaiah 41, verse 13. Now remember where these guys are at. They're hiding, they're fearful, they're just hoping that this promise is something that's worth waiting for. You've got to remember, they knew Paul was out there, who was called Saul, hunting them, waiting to drag them back for trial and torture. They had just seen their master they had been following, grabbed, falsely accused, tried, and crucified. 
It was open season on believers. In fact, they wouldn't even call them Christians at this point. They were just called, quote, the way. The emperors and the Romans were doing their best to eliminate them. And there wasn't a big revival movement. But God knew this as well. Look at Isaiah chapter 41, verse 13. For I, the Lord your God, I will hold your right hand, saying to you, fear not. And he doesn't say, fear not, just be bold and brave. Look what he says. Fear not, I will help you. You know how he helped him? Sent the Holy Spirit. You know how he's going to help you? When you say, I just, I can't do this. I can't get through this rough patch. I can't get over this thing. I can't make it through this or that. You know how he's going to help you? The Holy Spirit. He says he's not left us alone. He's given us a comforter. He's given us empowerment. And we just have to be the people that walk in that. So what is Pentecost? It's the fulfillment of John the Baptist's words about the Holy Spirit. In Luke, he talks about being baptized with fire. And the, and the prophet Joel's about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It happened at Pentecost. Why tongues of fire? They symbolize speech. Again, that tongue-looking thing symbolizes communication about the gospel. It's also about fire, about God purifying us. It burns away what the Old Testament would talk about, this dross, the bad stuff that's invaluable that needs to rise to the surface. And I'm telling you, that is part of the goal of the Holy Spirit. So just know that part of the job of the Holy Spirit is to purify us. And there's a reason why. And I won't belittle this time or belabor this time, but we're unclean people. And God loves us so much that He will turn up the heat in our lives. Not so that you're miserable. But he turns up the heat to bring that stuff that doesn't need to be, the stuff that makes you less than pure. He brings it to the surface. And that's where, that's where it gets scary for people. I, don't, I want people to know my business. I don't want people in, uh, up in my grill. I don't want... That's part of the purpose of the Holy Spirit so that we can be mature and realize everybody's had that happen. <laughs> that's why we have to pray for each other. That's why it's called sanctification, that he brings it to the surface. We scrape that stuff off, and guess what? He may turn up the heat a little bit more. And then more stuff. And it's a lifetime. Believe me, it's not just a one-time occurrence where we come to an altar someplace and God removes all of our sin. That would be great if you died that same day. But if you live past that day, you're going to accumulate more stuff, and God's going to have to turn up the heat again. And again, and again, and that's part of Christian living, that we get used to that. Pretty soon we realize, ooh, this is uncomfortable. And I remember the day that that happened, where God began exposing stuff in my life, not to anybody else, but just to me. But then I had a choice of what to deal with it or hide it. And you've got that same chance this morning. If you keep hiding it, Sooner or later, the Holy Spirit will say, you don't want to listen? 
have your life. And that's a pretty miserable place to be. The knowledge of God and truth, but you don't allow the Holy Spirit to check you and to guide you and lead you. And that's where people fall into error. And that's where people fall back to religion. Or you allow that to be an ongoing process that teaches us grace and mercy because when the mess in my life comes up, (laughs) it's pretty tough for me to judge the mess in somebody else's life. And the great part is God doesn't just say, look at all that mess. He's like, great, let's take care of that. That's grace, church. That's the mercy of God. Instead of saying, look at all that mess and evaporate us, he's like, I already knew it was in there, but I need you to know that it's in there. And he scoops it away. Just like this moment, he needed to show them that they were fearful. He needed them to know, I can stand by you. I will hold your right hand. I will never leave you alone. That's why I'm sending the comforter. That's why you need it so bad. This is also the defining point where God's fire dissolved their fear and God began to overshadow them. It's not about you anymore, Peter. It's not about you anymore, John. It's about God and being witnesses to him. Your mission has changed from following to telling the incredible things of God. And that's our job, too. So last but not least, what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit baptism? And I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit. We already know what the purpose of the Holy Spirit is. We're talking about the baptism. And again, this has been a source of confusion and contention. But I just want to break it down from what the Bible says. First of all, it's a gift that Jesus wants every believer to have. I want you to hear that. It's a gift that Jesus wants every believer to have. It's not for a special few. It's not for a certain era of time. It's for every single believer. It's also to receive power from the Holy Spirit, and it's that explosive power that moves you from where you were to where you should be. It moved them from inside the house, fearful, to outside the house, speaking the wonders of God. You see, that's the problem today. We're cocooning ourselves, and we don't know our neighbors. And most of the time, we don't care. And even when we do care, we say, well, my life's worse than yours, so it didn't matter. Our job is to move from outside or from inside to outside. It's also to become a bold witness of Jesus Christ. We're not called to be advocates for the church. We're not called to be advocates for religion, but to be boldly following and proclaiming Jesus Christ through every area of our life. Now, that takes the boldness. That's what's hard. Well, what if they don't want to hear it? That's their problem, not yours. Let them walk away. Just please, please, hear me as a pastor. If somebody decides to walk away, don't follow them to their car like your paparazzi and keep condemning them. Just realize you planted a seed. You let them go. And the power of a planted seed is incredible. Who knows what God will do with circumstances and a little bit of heat and a little bit of water. And pretty soon now they're finding you saying, I know you told me about that, but I got some questions. That's what it's all about. 
Remember that in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, this means it's an ever-expanding view of taking the message of Jesus Christ wherever you go, whenever you go, to whoever you can tell, your city, your state, your county, your country, all the way to the ends of the earth, wherever God takes you, you've got the opportunity. Now, what's hard is we make assumptions. <laughs> Don't assume that anybody that you know, unless you've seen them get saved, that you think that they're saved. Everybody, I mean, who did they tell this message to? Pagans? Romans? You remember what the scripture said? Who the message came to? Devout Jews. They were the churched people of the time, but they were following the wrong thing. They were stuck in religion. And Jesus said, I've got a bigger message, a better way for you that will free you up. So don't assume that just because you hear somebody talk in religious lingo or they went to a church sometime, somewhere, somehow, that they're saved. Maybe they just learned religion and they still need Jesus Christ. Two questions before we go. Have you been empowered? If not, today's a great day for it. What's keeping you? Now, I, I could be bold enough to say, nothing's keeping you. Fear. <laughs> Worry. Distraction. It's like, we got, a, we got an encore all-you-can-eat thing going on, and I don't want to be stuck here. <laughs> There's lots of excuses, but no real reasons. Have you been empowered with the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about speaking in tongues. I'm talking about having your whole life covered, thought life, prayer life, how you live, how you think, how you spend, how you raise your family, how you're going to pray from now on, dipped completely in the Holy Spirit so that it's about His kingdom, not about you. If not, today's a great day. And if you have been empowered, do you still remember that you're a sent person? Just like Jesus was a sent person and Paul was a sent person, you've got a job to do. You've got a mission that's still waiting to be fulfilled. And if you're wondering about that mission, you can go back to Matthew chapter 28, go into all the world. Nowhere in the Bible does it say sit in your room. It says go. Come to me and go. Come to me, go. Come to me, go. Important process. So I'm not letting you off the hook this morning. If you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I invite you to come forward this morning. You don't need any more prompting. You don't need any more education. If you want to receive that this morning, come with no expectations except for, I want the promise. And however God wants to pour it out on you, praise God. And if you've been empowered, but it's been sitting on the back burner, 
you haven't been acting like a sent one, then it's time to get a, a fresh little touch this morning and step out of your seat too and say, God, for somehow I, I mistook being a bold witness as being a quiet secret service Christian. <laughs> and that's not what God empowered us to do. And again, it doesn't mean you can't use Facebook. Awesome tool. But face-to-face is still the primary way that God wins people to Christ. There has to be that connection. When they see in your face that this isn't some story, that it's not some cut-and-paste religion, that it's your story about what God did with you and how the Holy Spirit has been so good to you, that's a whole different message than you need to get in church or you're living in sin. He didn't say to tell people that. He told them to share the glorious wonders of God that He saves, that He heals. And if you haven't been doing that, I challenge you, change your message from hate and condemnation into one of love and invitation, and I'll bet you'll see a better response. So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. I'm going to get you started. Sometimes that gravity pulls on your backside so much. I just can't get out of the chair. I challenge you not to hesitate this morning. And if your heart's going, uh, uh, that's probably for you. And don't worry about being condemned. (laughs) I've been there. I've been at the spot where even saved, I ran to an altar. (laughs) You know why? I felt like it was the only thing I could do. (laughs) And I didn't worry about who saw me. (laughs) And I didn't care about who heard me. Because God is no respecter of persons. And so if that's you this morning, I just encourage you. We're going to bow our heads. And I'm going to give you a moment to come forward. And allow for... God, to pour out on you. We'll pray for you. Whether you're empowered or whether you need the baptism. So if you want the baptism this morning, I'm going to ask you to step over here. Your right-hand side. If you just need, you've been empowered, but you've been living as a secret service agent, I'm going to ask you to step over there. there's a few more don't let your flesh make you sit there this morning you know you're stuck in a rut you know you've tried everything (laughs) you keep going back and forth that's you come and ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit this morning See if it'll explode you from where you were to where you can be. Can we get some spirit-filled believers to come and pray this morning? If, if you've 
received the baptism, I want to ask you to pray for those that have not this morning. So come quickly, hurry. The sooner we respond, the sooner we can get on with this. And I'm going to be serious and specific right here. For those of you asking for the baptism, I want you just to ask for that. I don't want you to ask for anything weird or something you've seen. God may have something specific just for you, so all you need to pray is, Lord, I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God. And then you let him do what he wants to do. And for those of you that have been a little shy, we're going to pray for boldness for you, but you're coming last. So here we go. Church, pray with me this morning. Father, we pray with great expectancy, God, according to the Scriptures, pour out your Spirit in incredible measure on those that want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Father, pour onto their whole life, Lord, over their, over their relationships, over their money, over their praise, over their prayer, over where they go, over where they work. Lord, let nothing be held back that the flesh would use against them. God, don't let them have fear and worry and doubt about what they're about to receive, but just to wait with great expectation to see what you will do. Lord, pour out your Spirit on them so that they will be bold witnesses and tell the glorious things of God. God, I pray right now for them not to overthink it, to try to figure it out, but just to be an open container. Lord, pour out your Spirit all over my life. Pour out your Spirit all over my life. Pour out your Spirit, Lord. Lord, I pray for boldness. God, on those that were prompted to come up, that they've already been saved, they've already flowed in your spirit, but God, they've just been a little dusty, a little afraid, a little shy. God, I pray for the power to flow through them again that helps them to not worry about rejection or worry or, or any of that, but just to share what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced. God, give them a boldness all over again to not talk about religious things, but to share the glories of God. To share His mercy, His grace, Lord. God, that there is judgment for sin, but there is grace for the sinner. Father, pour out a fresh anointing on them. A fresh refilling, God. God, I pray specifically that you would give them a, a heightened prayer life. God, that you would flow through them more in praise and worship. And that you'd give them eyes to see opportunities that they've been missing. You'd give them ears to hear you prompting them to speak. And sometimes in what would be fearful places, public places. And that they'd worry about what to say or how to say it. And I'd say, just allow the Holy Spirit to speak like they did in Acts chapter 2. They didn't have it prepped. They didn't have it prepared. They just spoke the things of God. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide you and lead you. 
And Lord, I pray for those that are wanting to be baptized. If, if, if today's not the day, then I pray you give them the courage to wait. And maybe it's tonight. And maybe it's tomorrow. They didn't know, but God, I pray that they would continue to wait for the promise, to keep seeking it, to not put it on hold or forget about it, but they keep looking, anticipating the promise of the Father. You're no respecter of persons, and you want to fill them, Lord. I pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit over every person in our church, Lord. You said on all flesh, on men and women, you said that they're equal, that created in your image, God, so that no one is left out. God, pour out your Spirit to help us be the church we're supposed to be, to help us be the believers we're supposed to be. To help us bring that dross to the surface that begins to purify our lives so we don't live in fear of, of what we know of ourselves or fear of, of what might be found out, but it comes to the surface and you sanctify us, Lord. You, you cleanse us. You heal us. So God, pour it out, not just today, but us as we continue to seek you and, and ask for it, Lord, would you pour out in continuing measure on our church, Lord. We need your Holy Spirit. It's welcome in this place. We need it. We want it. Without it, we're powerless. We're, we're not guided. We're not led. We ask for your Holy Spirit all over us again, Lord. those of you praying, like I said, if your expectations should just be the promise, and if somehow you feel like it hasn't been fulfilled yet, no matter if you've been baptized or not baptized in it, keep seeking it. Get in your private prayer time and ask God, Lord, is there anything that's preventing me?